Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the PBNJ podcast. We are continuing and we are finishing our study on Job. And we wanted to preface this by just saying a little something because we're going to wrap this up very quickly because in the process of doing this, uh, you'll notice that we tended to do our long form discussion that we do with everything else, but we learned that actually really doesn't work (laughs) with doing a Bible study. So we were getting bogged down and we were getting kind of bored with the material ourselves because of how we approached it. Not that the material itself is boring. And so we were like, well, if it's boring for us, it's probably going to be boring for you. So we're going to switch things up and and do it a little differently. Yeah, it was a tough time recording. Uh, I, I think what we learned and what you probably have realized if you aren't already stopping listening is is that uh discussing long form an article is about as exciting as going to an english classes and if you're really into that kind of thing you're probably fine with it but if you're not then it's not super engaging um and you might have been able to even hear in our voices i think at times even ben and i got a little disengaged with the material not that job is not interesting but there's only so much you can say about a point is trying to make job in particular is a really unique book it asks and Ben, tell me how you feel about this. It asks deeply personal and thoughtful like questions that require meaningful reflection. It's a book that I think you would it'd be much better served to read someone's like journaled private thoughts on than hear two people debate uh, or discuss or talk openly about it. Um, and then I, I don't know that Ben and I even had enough to say that was all that different that would really add a lot of value or even approach things in a meaningful way. And then as we began to kind of talk about the nature of God that's discussed in Job, um, we had to kind of reach a little bit to figure out ways that that applied to us um, because we didn't want to just settle by saying this is what it's asking because that's really all it is. It's asking some interesting questions. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's too reductionist, Ben, but that's how I felt about the book we were recording. And Job's tricky because you don't have, it's not like every section of someone's dialogue, they're only communicating one idea. Like there are sections pretty commonly where there's like two verses where there's something very significant and then they move on to something else like over and over again. And then within the dialogues, you have responses to responses. And so there's a, it's incredibly dense, which makes it difficult to do it justice. But at the same time, it's like if you take a high level approach and just do the main points, then it feels like you're not doing it justice. But what we're going to do is we're actually just going to wrap up by doing that high level approach and really just hitting the main points that Job gets to from chapters eight and onwards to the end of the book. To quickly summarize the points already made, Job so far has wrestled with the ideas of what do you do with someone who is righteous and they're suffering generally? And you can find, you know, with our previous videos, more in-depth reflection on what that means and what Job's getting at. But these are the, the big ideas going forward. And Jordan, you can cut me off if you want to interject anything here. So the next step that Job gets to is he really starts to challenge the idea that God is just. So all throughout the book, Job's view of God shifts from God is good to God is neutral or apathetic to human suffering. And then Job actually gets to a place where he kind of claims that God is wicked because God is not enforcing a moral law and God does not seem to care. Therefore, God must be wicked because so far God has not responded to anything. Job is asking why he's suffering and nothing's being made right. And so Job accuses God of just being apathetic. Maybe God just doesn't care about humans. Maybe he doesn't care about our suffering and he's just out there. And this is all just a big lie. Um, All throughout this, the rest of the book, his friends, they do have 
varied and nuanced arguments, but the same spirit is still there, which is his friends are saying, no, Job, you're suffering because you're wicked. Just repent, fix yourself, and then everything will be made right. And Job just keeps challenging that idea, but with different arguments as time goes on. Further on, God does speak to Job. And it's interesting that when God addresses Job, most of what he says is rhetorical and God at no point addresses any of the charges that Job makes against him, which is what you would expect. So Job makes certain charges against God. Why this? Why this? God doesn't answer any of that. But it is interesting what God does and also what he does not do. So God does not condemn Job, which actually proves that the claims of his friends are false. Because his friend's claims were Job has done something wicked. That's why he's suffering. And by God not condemning Job, he's actually vindicating Job and saying, you know what, Job, you didn't deserve this. You didn't do anything. But that's about as clear as God gets in addressing any of the charges that Job makes throughout the dialogues, as well as Job's friends. And this is where what Job concludes. Because, I mean, you could sympathize with Job if you were to say, you know what, everyone just thinks I'm wicked anyways, so I'm just going to stop trying to be righteous because being righteous is tough work. Like it takes a lot of work to be righteous. But Job actually concludes that righteousness is worth pursuing and it's worth living out for its own sake. And that's going to come into play in reflection of the book as a whole, which is what I'm going to get to now. After God speaks, Job then confesses, he repents, and he releases his charges against God. And then Job is made prosperous again. This is how the book ends. Everything is given back to Job, everything that he lost, and that's the book of Job. So what I want to get into now is kind of comparing how reading the book of Job literally can have a very different interpretation as reading the book of Job allegorically, which is sort of where this whole conversation with Jordan and I started. I got a few thoughts. It's a long book. It's a long book to get through. And it's so much dialogue that to summarize it like that is is really helpful. Um, When we, we first started recording this, one of the things that was of interest to me was how we understand the book historically. How do we even begin to interpret this? What type of literature does it fall under? That was a big question. And if you want to listen to our first video, we kind of talk about that. But the reality is that we got to discuss, or at least to understand it in its full extent, uh, you got to understand the method you're using to interpret it. If it is a literal history, it says some pretty interesting things about God. Mm-hmm. And it makes us wonder why it happened this way. And it's a little inconsistent. One of the messages that seems to be implied under that interpretation, and Ben, correct me if you feel like I'm wrong, is that like, it seems to be that God can just do whatever he wants and we just have to deal with it to some extent. And maybe that's just a general message that uh, is implied in the book as a whole. But under the literal interpretation, that that leaves some interesting room because it does put a little bit of responsibility of suffering onto God. It's not that he just was not caring. It's that he made a deal with a, with a, an accuser to like let these things happen just to see what would happen. Based on our understanding of foreknowledge of God, it gets a little tricky and sticky there. So I just think that interpreting it literally does have problems. But if that's the case, it does ask, I think, a very interesting question, which is the one I just mentioned. When we get to the allegorical interpretations or the wisdom literature interpretations, it opens ourselves up to talking about what is it that's going on here? Why is everything fixed with like a magic wand and waved? Ben, do you feel like that's a good way to interpret the end of the book? Yeah. At the end of the book, because that happens, like everything's restored, it kind of has this like fairy tale-esque sense, which never happens anywhere else No, in the Old Testament, which makes Job very much an outlier in that regard. Um, It's like everything's fixed and then that's the end of it. No other history book in the Old Testament shares that similarity, so it's hard to categorize it that way. But also interpreting it literally has you reach very different conclusions 
I just want to contrast here reading the book allegorically versus reading it literally. So reading it allegorically, it really seems that the author is making two main points. The first one is suffering and prosperity come inexplicably. From Job's perspective, nothing that is happening to him makes sense. He doesn't understand why is he suffering? Why did he lose everything? But also at the end, there's no real explanation as to why everything was restored because God could have just left everything the way that it was and Job just would have been fine. However, reading it literally, suffering and prosperity come by two ways. You suffer because Satan does something to you and you prosper because you're faithful. Like that's how Job very often is interpreted from a literal sense, because if you read it as literal history, that is the explanation. Why do people suffer? Because Satan's doing something. Why do people prosper? Because God is blessing them for their faithfulness. So you have two totally different values and value ideas that come out of those two schools. The other point that the author seems to be making, again, if you read it allegorically, is that an automatic principle of punishment and reward is problematic. And what I mean by that is if people are righteous and they always prosper, then that's a problematic system because then people would be righteous just so they could prosper. And it's not true righteousness. Like people would only <laughs> do good things because they get something out of it. But in Job's story, again, if you read it allegorically, you don't read it as literal. Job is righteous, not because he gets something good out of it. Actually, he is suffering throughout this entire process. But he refuses to give up his righteousness. And he says, like time and time again, no, I am not going to renounce this. I'm not going to live differently. Like I am living a righteous life. I'm not going to give that up just because things get difficult. Yeah. However, if you read it literally, it actually reinforces that automatic principle of punishment and reward. Because again, why do people suffer? Because Satan does something. Why do people prosper? Because God blesses them for their faithfulness. So there's still that built-in idea of if you are righteous, you will prosper. Good things will happen to you. And so then it just creates more motivation to be righteous for the sake of just getting good things out of it. So again, you have those two competing ideas. And also, if you read it literally, you totally lose that perspective of righteousness is worth pursuing for its own sake, which is an incredibly profound idea. It is. That is certainly worth reflecting on. And that's why it's important to really discern how Job is intended to be read. Is it intended to be read as a literal history or as an allegory? Because the conclusions you come to you are totally different. With that said, Ben, I appreciate you kind of closing it up for us there. Uh, thinking about the interpretive method, what the questions are and reflecting on those questions. Uh, we're going to conclude our study on Job and let you guys actually take the time to reflect on it. If you are looking for something a bit more in depth that does go through the actual book itself, we do want to recommend one lecture that is on YouTube by Christine Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. Uh, uh, we'll put the link in the description, but it's a video that goes through the book of Job and it's a very good lecture. It is, uh, it's Princeton, right? Or is it Yale? I can't, it's an Ivy League school. Yale. It's Yale? Okay. It's Yale. I always get yeah. my Ivy Leagues confused. It's definitely not Harvard though. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Yale study and it's, it's quite good and it does go through all this. And it was something that we actually leaned on fairly heavily it's one of our few big sources for this for this series. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll probably say in a much more, well, compared to me, but not Ben, but uh, to me, a much more clear, succinct and accurate way, kind of what we were trying to get at with the book of Job, maybe ask the questions in a bit more of a clearer way. So if you're interested in learning more, yeah. we'd recommend you go there. So with that said, thank you for joining us, everyone. And we will see you next time.